Thank you for tuning in to Adversity University, and welcome to class. Hey, everybody, this is Sean. We just finished up another great interview with Army head coach Brian Riley. His family has been involved in coaching for a long time. It's quite the legacy. We touch on it a little bit in the intro, and Garrett and I were talking. We forgot to mention that his dad is actually the 1960 coach of Team USA who cut Herb Brooks. I know that the hockey community definitely knows that story. It's kind of a big part of the movie, and Herb was the coach of the 1980 team that is so famous and he, as a player, was the last player cut from the 60s team who won a gold medal as well. Um, so Brian Riley's dad was the one who cut him there. And it's a great legacy and was amazing learning from him. Garrett, what did you think about the interview? Brian was great. Uh, I played with his two younger sons, Jack and Brendan. Uh, they were great people. Loved being around them. Really good guys. I had never met uh, Coach Riley personally. Uh, except for after games, never, you know, sat down with him as a coach of Army. Obviously, he has the obligation to be there and be with his team. So he wasn't at a lot of our games unless we were playing against them. Um, but I love that they're involved in the Army, and I think it teaches such great things. And we really touch on that in today's episode. And I kind of wondered how they got into the whole Army thing. And obviously, uh, Brian's dad, Jack, uh, was the coach there first. The for the last 70 years of Army West Point hockey, it's been a, a Riley coach. It was uh, Brian's dad, Jack. Then it was an old, his older brother, Rob. And now it's him. Who knows if the legacy will continue. There's three up-and-coming family members in the pipeline. So you may see a, a Riley head coach at Army West Point for 100 years, which is crazy to think about. And the legacy of the family didn't really hit me until just recently now being with Brett here at LIU. Um, and being surrounded by Jack and Brennan, who are now imparting on their own coaching careers. So it's really cool to think about and to be a part of, and uh, really honored to have Brian come on. You talked about how that Army legacy started. His father actually served in World War II. Yep. And similar to my grandpa, served in World War II. It was such a different time back then. My dad tells a story how on his 18th birthday, his dad came down and showed him a picture standing on a German tank in World War II when he was 18 years old. And my dad said that that just blew his mind. You know, he thought that he was, you know, king of the world. He's 18 years old, this big tough guy. And then he sees his father at 18 years old standing on a tank in World War II. So it's a different lifestyle. We get into it a bit. We talk about how difficult it is to coach these young men because you grow such a bond as a coach and as a teammate over those four years. And you know that they're off to do something so dangerous just to protect the rest of us. So it's very admirable and just fantastic learning from him. He's so respected. In order to lead those leaders, you obviously have to have something special about you. So it was just a really special interview, and we can't thank him enough for coming on. It puts life into perspective a lot, too, that there's more important things in the game of hockey, and I think that Brian touches on that a lot. Uh, it, some of the things that he's gone through, I don't really want to touch on them because he goes into great detail during the episode, um, has really put things into perspective for him. And he continues to use these people, um, as positive, uh, you know, things for his players and, and the community. And they find ways to commemorate these people every single day, which I think they should They're 
very special people. As you mentioned, anyone that goes to Army has to be a great leader. Um, and it's really cool the things that he has brought into this episode, and I'm really excited for everyone out there that's listening. Let's kick it on over to Brian Riley. The Colorado Rampage are excited to announce a player development partnership with Power Edge Pro Hockey. PEP's reactive countering training concept is the type of innovative skill development that will greatly impact our organization. Developing players to the next level is the Colorado Rampage's number one priority, and incorporating PEP hockey into our training will help us get there. Visit their website at corampage.com. That's C-O-R-A-M-P-A-G-E.com. Be better today than you were yesterday and join the herd. Today's guest earned an undergraduate degree from Brown University and a graduate degree from Boston University. He is entering his 17th season as the head coach of Army West Point Hockey, after also serving 14 years as an assistant to his older brother, Rob. During his time at West Point, he has led the program to their first ever regular season championship in program history, amassed 100 wins back in 2018, and is a three-time Atlantic Hockey Coach of the Year. We're excited to be joined by Brian Riley. I was going to say, it's great to be with you guys. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Very honored. Um, as a part of the Riley coaching legacy, what sparked your interest in becoming a teacher of the game after your playing career? Well, I, I think you just said, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of something that's been in the family, right? Like my, my dad was obviously the coach here at West Point when we were growing up. And to be quite honest, like I, I, I wasn't sure, uh, you know, going to Brown, what I was going to do. Uh, obviously, a lot of people don't go to an Ivy League school and get into coaching. Um, but as I was playing and um, for different coaches, realized that, hey, you know what? Coaching allows you to still be a part of the game when you can't play anymore and uh, an opportunity to hopefully uh, impact young men's lives. So. Uh, great decision. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have changed it for anything. That's something one of our past guests also said. Mike Boyle is a really respected strength and conditioning coach, and he talks about how any great coach you're going to find just that equal love and passion of the game, and someone who just loves to be around and help other people learn as well. Yeah. So um, I tell people when we were at my dad's retirement party that they, they had a uh, big ceremony here in the mess hall at West Point and I'm sitting next to my mom and at one point my dad says you know I never worked a day in my life the last 36 I'm thinking never worked a day. like you just spent 36 years at West Point like but now I know what he meant like when you wake up every day and and love coming to work and um I wait every day for like three o'clock because that's when the cadets like come by my office. It, it, it just, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's definitely not a job. It, it's, it's just an unbelievable opportunity to still be around the game and uh, be around young men that uh, makes, like I said, every day coming to work, um, just something that I really, really look forward to. Was it hard for you to make that transition or did you feel you were ready after your playing career was done? You know, um, so when I, when I graduated from Brown, I had played in Waterloo in the, in the U S hockey league before it was just juniors. Like we had some guys that were actually getting paid and um, my coach there, Jack Barzee, uh, he had 
gone from Waterloo to Dubuque. So I had stayed in touch with him and he said to me like, Hey, uh, why don't you come out and, um, help me coach out here in Dubuque. So I did it. And then I got a call halfway through the season from one of my former teammates at Brown said, Hey, we got a spot over here in Spain. Why don't you come over here and play? And I was, I talked to Jack about, he says, Hey, you gotta go. And so I went over and played half a year in Spain. And, um, but I, I knew that obviously Spain and the NHL are kind of a long ways apart, right? Like I knew I wasn't going to make a living in pro hockey. So uh, I really liked my short time with coaching and knew that then that that was something that I wanted to do and was able to start off at Plattsburgh State as an assistant for three years. The recruiting process is different for military academies. Not only do you need division one athletic talent, each of your player has to be American. They have to do very well academically and have the desire to serve their country after sports. Do you look at this as a challenge or a benefit to the program? You know what, Sean, you're, you're right. Like when, when we go to, let's say the North American league showcase um, and I'm sitting around other Atlantic hockey league coaches, like their pool and who they're looking at obviously is a lot bigger than ours, just for the reasons that, that you talked about. But, um, I think everybody has challenges, uh, regardless of, of what school you're, you're at. And if you, if you look at things like it's a challenge, um, I think it can impact you in a negative way. I mean, bottom line is we get an opportunity to, um, recruit great young men and, and um, also the military piece. So, um, most guys, uh, like, both of you guys, I'm sure, never grew up thinking about the military. And, um, but the military piece, it, it's funny. I don't worry about the military piece because you guys and, and all the guys that, that we recruit have, have grown up playing this, this hockey, this team, ultimate team sports since you've been five, six years old. The military, the Army, that's the ultimate team. So all those things that, that have made you successful um, and all the things you've learned about being on a team are the same things that will allow, I know, for our guys in the room to be uh, successful Army officers when they graduate from West Point. I think that's a great point, um, that the game teaches us so much, not only about ourselves, but about life. I think I've learned so many life lessons through the game. It's taught me how to be a better person. And I think that we need to take that for what it is. And as much as we love playing the sport at the end of the day, and the most important thing is that we're becoming better people and better citizens in this world. For sure. And, and so um, as time has evolved and from a coaching standpoint, Hey, trust me, I get it. X's and O's are very, very important. Um, I have in my eyes, one of the best coaches in college hockey here and Zach McKelvey who played here um we just brought in arlen marshall this year another outstanding coach but i look at my role kind of what you just talked about garrett is is to help prepare and teach these guys about the game of life and every opportunity that 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 i get to um i think teach these guys so when they graduate from here um, it'll give them a foundation to be not only great army officers, but great people. 
great husbands, great fathers. And, and, and so um, maybe when I got into coaching, I thought it was just coaching, you know, X's and O's, but, but like you just talked about, it is definitely so much more uh, than that. And, and I agree like hockey, it, it has taught you guys. It, it continues to teach me about the game of life every day. Your outlook on your job is very inspirational and you talked about it in a very positive manner. And in my opinion, I believe coaching any military academy is arguably one of the hardest coaching jobs in the world. As you see former players get called upon to serve our country, an example is Derek Hines, who you coached before his call came. What emotions did you go through the day you found out he was killed in combat? Oh, man. Um, I just got chills. So I tell his story a lot. It, it was August 29th, um, 7.30 in the morning. I, I had come into the office, uh, 2005, and my computer pinged. So that meant I got an email, and, and I looked at it, and I had an email from Heinze. And, and, and we had been emailing, uh, obviously, and uh, he was now deployed uh, over in Afghanistan. And um, it, it was an email where he, he said, hey, coach, um, things over here. Uh, he goes, I'll explain later. But I wanted to reach out to you and, and make sure that you tell the younger guys to get off to a good start with the books, you know, because once the season comes around, uh, it gets a little harder. said, I'm so excited to watch the team this year. Um, and then he said, coach, the last couple of weeks have been pretty tough over here. We lost, I think it was five guys to a roadside bomb. He goes, I, I, I never could have imagined, you know, going through something like this. And, um, and then he said, but you know what, coach, he said, we're getting ready to go on a mission. And, uh, I think it'll be great for us to get back in the fight. And then at the very end, he said something or he wrote something that will always be my biggest highlight here at West Point. Not, not a championship, not a win over Air Force or a win over number two rank, uh, Miami of Ohio. Um, it said, hey, coach, I want you to know that some of the best leadership skills I learned at West Point were as a result of watching you and being a part of the Army hockey team. And I remember getting that and, and, you know, just thinking like, wow, like that's, that's what coaching um, is truly all about when, when, when you can make a small difference. Right. And so luckily I said, Hey, I'm going to email them right away. And, and, and I emailed them back and said, hi, Hey, everyone's doing well here. Um, you know, guys are off to a good start. I said, I'm so sorry to hear about your guys, but I can think of nobody better than you to help somebody get through a tough situation like that. And then at the end, you know, like always, I said, Heinze, I'm proud of you. Um, stay in touch. Love, coach. Uh, two days later, I'm in our locker room and I'm putting something on the board. My phone's vibrating in my pocket. I, I didn't pick it up because I was zeroed in on whatever I was putting on the board. Finally, after a few minutes, I'm like, who the heck is calling me? And I, um, I pull my phone out and I see a couple missed calls. But then also right when I'm looking at the phone, Nate Mayfield, one of Heinze's teammates, um, was calling. And I said, I answered, I said, hey, Nate, how you doing? He goes, all right, coach. Um, I said, what's up? 
He's like, coach, did you hear about Heinze? And I'm like, I just talked to, I just emailed Heinze two days ago, you know? Um, he said, coach, he was killed last night. And I remember like at that time, kind of staggering back and sitting in one of the stalls and feeling like the whole building was like gonna collapse on me. Um, first thing I thought about was, oh my God, like I've got to call his mom and dad. Um, and I did, uh, obviously a very tough call and, you know, his dad told me, he said, Hey coach, you know what? Um, if he didn't want to do this, he could have left. And, and, and this is, this is something that, that he wanted to do. And so, um, obviously a very, very hard situation to go through and, um, going up to the funeral with our team, um, bringing my family, um, you guys have played against, or Sean, you played against Jack, obviously Jared, Brendan and Jack have been your teammates. Um, Heinze was like an older brother. Like they, they had never experienced anything like that. And it just kind of rocked our world. Um, but I'm thankful to have had the opportunity to, um, coach Heinze and Noam and, and um, I will go, I will go anywhere to tell his story. And, and, and we have another player, Tom Kennedy, like that's how their legacy lives on. So I, I'm, I'm thankful that you brought his name up here today. So I could kind of just tell you a little bit about him and, but he was an amazing person. Um, how he died was the person who was responsible for building that roadside bomb that, that killed uh, his, his soldiers. They found out he was in a, in a village. So on their mission, they broke off, they got to this village, they waited. And, um, in the middle of the night, they're going to wait till the morning in the middle of the night, this person comes out dressed in all women's clothing and a robe and Heinze got up and told everybody to, uh, wait there. And he brought an interpreter. Well, uh, it was, it was a guy and he pulled out an automatic weapon and fired and hit Heinze. Heinze was able to get off around and, and kill him. And, um, his commanding officer that was there that day said that they knew, you know what, that he was, he was, he wasn't going to make it. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of his story, but yeah, you guys I mean, would have loved to have him as a teammate for sure. Like wasn't a big guy, but he played big. Yeah. Uh, as for the viewers that don't know, your nephew, Brett, is obviously my head coach here at LIU. And he gave us the article about Derek Hines to read this summer. And what a touching, touching article. You obviously mentioned basically everything that's in the article. And it talks about what an unbelievable player he was, what a great leader he was, not only for your team as he captained it his senior year, um, but also in the community. He gave everything to that community and he would stay after games and talk to any person, any kid, any parent for as long as they wanted. Um, they used to throw ketchup bottles on the ice for Heinze. Uh, and one thing that really stuck with me from that article is at the very end of it, <clears throat> they ask his mom, they're, you know, asking his mom some questions about him. And at first she questioned why he went to the military academy. And then she's quoted saying something like, I look back and see all the people that he's surrounded by. And I realize that he was truly blessed. And it, it, it reminds me of, you know, the things that you say, you talk about how you're blessed to be around these players. And I think you realize it, but they're very 
blessed to have you as a part of of their life too and be along this journey you talk about a kid who who goes into war and sends you emails every day you touch that kid's life and i think that's such a special job to have no like like and the most amazing thing about Heinze, and I often give leadership talks and it's tied into the, the leadership qualities that Heinze and, and TK had. And if Heinze was here right now and, and on this podcast with, with us, uh, the last thing that he would tell you guys about that day, uh, September 1st, 2005, is this. He would say, uh, Sean, Garrett, I would much rather what happened on that day, as bad as it was, happen to me than to happen to any of my soldiers. So that, when you think about the type of person that, that Derek Hines was, selfless leader, selfless leader. And, and that, to me, sums up Heinze, as well as, you know, I get to be around people like Heinze every day, every day. So. Um, I get it. There, there are a lot of people that say they have the best coaching job in the world. I have the best coaching job in the world, for sure, for sure. You briefly mentioned Major Tom Kennedy as well, and um, the new locker room is actually named after him in 2018. Could you talk about his story a little bit and his sure. impact on your program? Sure. Another one. Um, like, I had gone to see him play. Uh, he played at Salisbury, obviously a good uh, prep school hockey program. Back then, we didn't get junior players. Like we kind of focused on prep school kids and high school kids. And and so TK comes here and um, like Heinze, you could tell he just kind of had that it factor, right? Like uh, everybody in the room knew that um, that he cared for them more than he cared for himself. and. So we are very fortunate to have him come back here as uh, as a major, and um, he was what they call a tack officer, which is basically like being a coach of a company. Like he oversaw like 130 something cadets, you know, their how they were doing academically, how they were doing militarily, how they and um, and he was great at that. Everybody loved him. He did such a great job that one of the generals decided, hey, I'm going to keep him here an extra year. Halfway through that year, he comes to me and says, hey, coach, uh, I just got word. I'm getting stationed in Fort Carson in Colorado. He said, the only thing is I just got to do a six-month deployment. It'll be a piece of cake. He said, when you guys come out to play Air Force, I'm going to have the whole team over. He goes, I actually just bought this outdoor rink, and he had twins, Maggie and Brody. And he said, by then, they're going to know how to skate. And I'm going to have the team. I said, that's going to be awesome. His last day at West Point. No, not, not his last day. The last day I saw him at West Point was a graduation parade. One of my favorite things here. I always walk on the parade field afterwards, try to bump into our guys. Last guy I bumped into was TK. We're walking off the parade field. There's three general's houses, the superintendent, which is like the president of a university the commandant, which oversees the military, and the dean, which obviously oversees the academic. And I bumped him in the shoulder, and I'm like, TK, next time you come back here, you're going to live in one of those houses. And I said, well, you're not going to live in the dean's house. I know that. Like, that's not going to happen. But I, I was thinking kind of the, the commandant's house. Two weeks later, he's gone from West Point. He goes to... Um, Afghanistan. He's only over there for a couple of weeks. 
tells everybody it's going to be a piece of cake, says, hey, mom, I'm going to be sitting behind a desk. I'm a major. Like, you don't have to worry about anything, which was a bunch of BS. Um, so <clears throat> every day is there. He, he's trying to get off, off the base. You know, he wants to go out and be with the soldiers. And he's asking, finally, one day, they're getting ready to leave to go meet these village elders, I think, in this town. And this colonel goes, hey, Kennedy, you want to come? And he's like, yes, sir. And he tells the guy, hey, you're out, Kennedy's in. And they go in this village to meet these village elders and they set up a perimeter, security perimeter, and like they always do. And all of a sudden they see a, a, a guy like just appear from nowhere and a couple guys start running toward him. And actually um, a Medal of Honor winner won this won the honor because of what he did this day. I think he has, uh, I think it might be seven seconds. There's a, there's a book written. But anyway, as he's running, the guy behind him pushes him. He grabs the guy and he yells vest because he knew as soon as he grabbed him, he could feel a suicide vest and he, he landed on top of him. The suicide vest exploded um, and he lived amazingly. But all of a sudden there was another guy and he exploded his vest and killed TK um, and four others. Again, like I was at Cape Cod uh, with the family. I woke up the next morning and saw I had a bunch of missed calls. And I knew, I knew like this is not good. Like something happened. And then to find out that TK was killed. I mean, he had such an impact on so many people here at West Point. Like the whole community was rocked. And his funeral, just like Heinze's, one of the most amazing things that I've seen to see how many lives that these guys could have touched in such a short time on, on this earth is, is amazing. TK is buried here at West Point. I, I see him every morning. I go by the cemetery and I always look to my left. I can see his headstone um, and I say something to him every morning and then uh, there are days when, when I'll just stop down there shortly after his death. I'm there one evening. It's not quite dark. And I thought I heard something behind me and I turn and look and there was this biggest deer with about, I don't know how many horns, but, and I was like, oh my God. And to me, it was like, that was, that was TK, like saying gotcha coach because i always go down there and talk well i'm not talking about the red sox this year because he's a big yankee fan um, <laughs> so yeah both those guys obviously had huge impacts on my life as well as so many other people and um, i appreciate you guys bringing them up because i feel one of the most important jobs i have here at west point is to make sure their legacy lives on and to be able to talk to guys like you hockey guys um, i know that they would be really happy about that it just puts life in such a different perspective and you have so much respect for everything they've done. Uh, going back to that story, you mentioned the, the other soldier who dove on top of the first bomber. Yeah. Do you think that that's something that he learned at his time at army or do you think that is just natural instinct? Well, you know what? I don't think I, he wasn't a West point grad, but, but you know what? That's what they do. So um, if I was to ask you guys, if, if, 
let's say you guys were on the same team and I was to say, Sean, do you play with Garrett? You'd say, yeah, I play with him. He's my teammate. And Garrett, you would say, yeah, I play with Sean. In the Army, they don't fight with somebody. They fight for somebody. Huge difference. Huge difference. And because when you fight for somebody, you might have to sacrifice something. You might have to sacrifice everything. And I think that's what the military, it, it just, whether or not they understand that coming in, by the time they, they, they graduate from West Point, um, that's, that's what they do. And it's, it's about the person to the left and right of you. It, it's no longer just about you. So um, I just think that's a natural instinct about, um, like I said, like fighting for the guy on each side of you. You talked about earlier how, you know, you get a lot of recruits that are similar to Sean and I in the sense that you don't know if they want to go into the military or, or whatnot. And it's funny because as I was younger, I would have never thought about going into the military in my life. And I, I think a lot of people question like, why that do they go into the military? It's kind of a crazy thought. But after sitting here talking to you a little bit more, I'm starting to realize why these young men and um, great men in our country do decide to go into the military because at the end of the day, they're sacrificing so much, but I feel that there's so much reward that comes with it too. Well, well, so, um, Hey, let, let's just like you guys, like you guys both had dreams of being division one college hockey players. Our guys are no different. And to be quite honest, like, like I said, the military piece, they, they don't like, like they understand, Hey, division one hockey, West point. Right but they also understand the value of the education of West Point and, and what it can do. Even though they don't, the majority of them don't know a lot about the military, um, they understand what it's like to be on a team. And uh, so when they come here, they really develop and, and grow into uh, leaders, you know, young men and women here that are going to leave this nation's sons and daughters. So it's a 47 month experience as a coach. It's really awesome to, to see it develop within each of our guys. So um, I know that if you were to ask all of our grads that uh, there isn't one guy who would say, I regret going to West Point. Getting back to hockey a little bit, a major reason that people are so drawn to sports is rivalries. Can you talk about the unique rivalry between military schools, such as yours between Army and Air Force? Sure. You know, unbelievable rivalry, right? Like the, 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 the thing about our rivalry is there is a respect for each other because, hey, for 120 minutes on a weekend, we are trying to beat the hell out of each other, right? But then at the end of our games, I don't know if, if you've ever seen clips, um, we stand shoulder to shoulder. You know how usually the home team will stand around uh, the center circle and salute the fans? We do it. We do it together. And then at the end of the second game, we have all of the seniors from both teams intermingled, and everybody else lines up behind them on the blue line intermingled, and they play uh, the alma maters from, from each team. Just a... Uh, um, I think our rivalry is what you would, the difference between ours and a lot of others is it's a special rivalry because 
like I said, ultimately, these guys are going to be on the same team. I mean, make no mistake about it. Like, we want to beat the hell out of each other. Um, but also after a game, but the, the second game, like, we, we eat together. Uh, it's kind of crazy. But uh, that's, I think, what kind of separates um, our rivalry from maybe uh, Robert Morris and Mercyhurst. Like, it, it just, it's just, it's just different. I love that you brought up the respect aspect of it. And it's funny because I only knew you uh, through your sons, Jack and Brendan. And every time I played against you at Army, every time I played against Frank's territory at Air Force, and I believe the only other coach would have been Eric Lang at AIC, did I feel such a respect for a coach without knowing them personally. And I think it's the way that it, you guys carry yourselves. I think it's the way that you guys handle your teams on the bench. Um, I think it's the way that you talk to the refs. And I can honestly say that I had such a tremendous respect and it was crazy because I had never talked to any of you guys personally, Frank territory when I was a little bit younger, but not that I really would have remembered our conversations, but it's cool to see that. And it's weird because I feel like all of that comes from the military. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Eric or Eric Lang at AIC was an assistant for you at army at one point. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I think it has something to do with the way that the military breeds people. Um, and, and, I gave you the respect because you earned it from me and the way that you treated other people. And it was really cool to see. Well, I think referees might disagree with you how I talk to referees, <laughs> you know, like, but I always tell them it's only a movie, right? Like yeah. it, it's, you know, I can yell and scream at them, but, um, but like, like for me, I've been able to um, build so many relationships with, with other players by going through the handshake line and, and just talking to them. Um, I know some coaches don't do it. And, and like, for me, like um, that, that's been an unbelievable experience for me to get to know uh, other players, whether win or lose, you know, whether it's a goalie, you know, telling him, Hey, that's the best performance I've seen in here, you know, in years or, you know, telling another player, wow, like that's, uh, that was an unbelievable game that, that you played. And, and you know, so, um, yeah, I, I, I love that, that I've had an opportunity to get to know so many players on um, other teams. You know, you talked about Jack and Brendan, um, you know, coming in here and playing. And I, I just, you know, we had two games in here where Jack, like, he had four points against us each game. Like, and I was like, and shoot, the one year, Brendan scored the first goal, Jack scored the next three. And I'm like, afterwards, like I grabbed them. I'm like, hey, you guys ever think about doing this against Frank at Air Force? Like, in, instead of doing against your dad? Like, um, but that was always pretty special too, to, to be able to coach against your kids. Yeah, we were going to bring that up, and that must be a weird dynamic because you're obviously cheering for them to do well because they're your sons, but you're their rival, and you want it, you you want your team to win. So, was that a little bit? Did that take a little bit of time to adjust to? Yeah. So initially, you know, the the first time it was just Jack, and I was like, "Wow, this is pretty cool," you know. And because I remember when when I played at Brown and played against my dad, like I just wanted to make him proud of of how I played and hell, I never scored against army. Um, might've got a couple penalties, but, uh, 
But one of the biggest highlights that, that I've had in coaching was the game when Jack and Brendan played together here at West Point. And, and Rick Godkin did an unbelievable thing. He started both of them. So to hear them announce, you know, on right wing, you know, number three, uh, Jack Riley from West Point, New York. And you could hear the, the place kind of buzzing. And then on left wing, number six, uh, from West Point, New York, Brendan Riley. And, and I was like, wow, you know, so proud of them as a parent, you know. And then I'll be damned if Brendan doesn't score on the first shift. And I remember thinking, all right, there's still a lot of time left in this game. And I was actually kind of happy for Brendan because, you know what, Jack kind of had a lot more um, uh, notoriety maybe. And, and so this was kind of Brendan's. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Well, like I told you, and then Jack scores the second goal, the third goal, the fourth goal. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Right? So I always wanted to beat them. If, if anyone was the scorer on us, I was hoping it was them, but I always wanted to have at least one more goal than them. And it didn't always work out that way, but we've had some good battles. That's funny. It's always like, uh, obviously not the same, but sometimes when you're playing fantasy football, you'll have a guy playing against your own team and you hope that your team wins by one, but that guy has a really great game. So yeah, yeah, no, that that's, that's, and of course I knew his mom or their mom. I knew who they were rooting for and it wasn't me. Like, <laughs> and, and my wife has a big family here. So Jack and Brendan have a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins and, Anytime you heard their name, like you could hear, uh, there was a lot of people cheering for them, but I knew that they were definitely in their corner. Uh, so the rules of military academy athletes playing professionally have been changing a little bit. Uh, one of your star forwards the last few years, Dominic Franco, signed a contract. Can you talk about how guys are balancing, continuing their athletic dreams with their yeah. Army commitments? Well, uh, again, I, I always kind of reference you guys, like everybody goes and when, when you're a division one player, I think everybody has a dream of playing pro, like, like everybody does. And, and uh, for years here, that was hard. Um, but now we can tell guys that, you know what, if you're good enough, if you're good enough, um, they will, first of all, they will notice you here and you will now you can get an opportunity. And, and so Dom was very fortunate. Um, to get that opportunity, you know, uh, the Sabres brass saw him and uh, signed him with with the Amherst. So um, he will he will give it a shot, and and then when he's done there, he will come back and do his military time. So um, you know, we're really excited about this, uh, you know, this new opportunity for um, for our players, and to me, it it's kind of a game changer to be able to tell guys that hey. If you're good enough, you'll have an opportunity to play pro. Now that your sons, Jack and Brandon, have got involved in the coaching world, what wisdom have you imparted on them? So, um, first of all, I remember asking Jack, like, what do you want to do? You know, as junior, and he gave me a look, like, what do you think I want to do, Dad? I'm like, what? And he goes, I want to coach. And I was like, oh, God. Um, but what I've told them is the best bit of advice that I got from my dad. And... Very simple. So when my dad said, hey, Bri, I'm going to tell you one thing. And, you know, my dad had a lot of success. I'm thinking, what's he going to tell me about a power play, about a penalty kill, about what? He said, Bri, you make sure you show your players that you care for them more as people than you do as hockey players. 
And if you do that, you will create a family type atmosphere that will enable you to overcome any obstacle that, that you guys face as a team. So my advice to, to Brendan and Jack, same thing. Show your players that you care for them more as people than you do as hockey players. And um, I think if you do that as a coach, uh, you will be a very successful mentor and you will impact uh, a lot of people's lives. I think that those small words are a big reason that the Riley family coaching legacy is so big. And I have no doubts that Jack and Brennan will continue the legacy. Um, and also as well, uh, your nephew, Brett, here at LIU, uh, for meeting all of them, being more surrounded, and Jack and Brennan in a personal space versus being a player coach. Absolutely wonderful people, and I know that they're going to continue to do you proud, as you know. Well, I mean, I, I, my wife, my wife's done an amazing job raising the kids because, you know, as a coach, like, you're hardly ever around, and I'm so glad, I'm so um, I consider myself very lucky that, that, that I can say that Jack, Brendan, of course, um, my daughter, Danielle, uh, that I'm their dad and, and that we're their parents. So uh, they, they continue to make us proud. And I'm just glad I don't have to see them on the ice anymore. <laughs> yeah, you talked about having to coach against them as players. It might not be too long until you're coaching against them as coaches. Oh, you know what? Now, it's going to be bad enough. I got my nephew this year at some point. I um no but it's just amazing like even with brett to to like these guys they used to live here at the rink you know when they are little kids running around the rink and and now they're 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 coaches uh i mean it it, it it'll be another surreal experience looking down on the opposing bench and seeing brett there uh this year but again really really proud of him as well and uh Family's the most important thing, right? So been been very blessed to have raised been raised in in a very close knit family, and now to have one uh, an amazing family now, yeah, I'm I'm a lucky guy. Well, we're lucky uh, that you were able to join us today. Very grateful for the opportunity to have you impart your wisdom on us, and hopefully all the people out there listening. We can't thank you enough, and we wish you the best of luck this year. Um, obviously not when you play LIU just strictly because I'm on the team. But uh, again, thank you very much. Super grateful for the opportunity. Guys, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this season, not having to go up against Sean um, <laughs> and Garrett. You know what? I don't expect you to be making any 40 save nights against us. Like you can save that for Air Force, right? You're going to play them four times. So, uh, but this is awesome. What, what you guys are doing. Um, I think this is great. And, Certainly wish you guys much success uh, in this endeavor. And uh, like you said, Garrett, our paths will cross this year for sure. Sean, I'm sure our path will cross here at some point. And thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We can't say thank you enough. Thank you for listening to this episode of Adversity University. You can follow more news about Adversity University on our social media pages. Our Instagram handle is adversity underscore university. Our Twitter handle is adversity underscore UNIV. And our Facebook page is Adversity University. 
If you know of any high-level athlete or professional that has an interesting story of overcoming adversity and you think they should share it, you can email us at adversityuniversitytalkshow at gmail.com. You can also use that email if you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Adversity University. We look forward to bringing our listeners more content from interesting guests weekly, so stay tuned on social media to see who could be next and what our past guests are up to now. And with that, class has concluded.